This is episode 156 with registered dietitian, marathoner, and former instructor at George Washington University, Ms. Ann Monty. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. My name is Jason Fitzgerald, and I'm your host. I'm also the head coach of Strength Running, my award-winning site for endurance runners, and my goal here is to give you the training ideas, strategies, and resources to accomplish whatever big goal that you might have, from running your first park run to qualifying for the Boston Marathon, preventing your next overuse injury, or mastering your mindset. I'll be bringing you the titans in the fitness world, the pro coaches, performance experts, elite runners, sports psychologists, thought leaders, physical therapists, and strength coaches to give you new insights into this incredible sport. I want you to better understand running, to view knowledge as a competitive advantage, and to always have the tools to take your running to the next level. Because the more you understand the sport, the better decisions you'll make about your training. Don't miss our other 155 episodes, our video channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning, or where it all began, strengthrunning.com, where you can find our coaching services, detailed guides on everything from building mental skills to running for beginners to nutrition and fueling for endurance runners. And a big thank you to our new sponsor, Gatorade Endurance. With higher electrolyte levels for more demanding training, no artificial sweeteners, and a lighter flavor that doesn't turn your stomach, it's a proven option for endurance runners who want to dial in their training. See all of their fueling options at GatoradeEndurance.com and use code STRENGTH20 for 20% off your order. My guest today is Anne Moni, and we're tackling nutrition for runners, weight loss, and fueling. Anne is a rock star, which is why I partnered with her to create our Nutrition for Runners program. She's a certified registered dietitian, has a master's in public health, she's taught at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and she's run dozens of half marathons and marathons. Her work has also been featured all over the place in Glamour, The Washington Post, Woman's Day, and many others. She writes a nutrition and lifestyle blog at fantasticfood.com. And of course, fantastic is spelled with her name, F-A-N-N-E, right in the beginning. And she also runs her own private counseling practice from andtherd.com. If you like what you hear on this episode, you can sign up for two extra bonus Q&As with Anne and I talking even more about diet, fueling, and nutrition at strengthrunning.com slash nutrition. I pulled all of the questions that we're going to answer today from Twitter and Instagram. I do this frequently and often take your individual questions there as well, so please connect with me on either platform. My handle is JasonFitz1. Without further delay, please enjoy this special nutrition Q&A with Ann Monty. Hey, Ann. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to have you on because I haven't talked a lot about nutrition or fueling on the podcast for a while, and I've been getting a bunch of questions, and I thought... Who better to chat with than Ann Monty, my partner on our Nutrition for Runners program? Uh, and, you know, honestly, these are mostly nutrition, diet, and some fueling questions. And, and you're really the subject matter expert here. So uh, what I've done is I have a bunch of questions that I've collected from different runners from Instagram, Twitter, and some emails that I've gotten as well. And uh, I'm really excited to dive into some of these with you and 
hopefully give our listeners a little bit more clarity on how they can better structure their meals, what they eat before run and after their run so that they can get more out of the run itself. They can recover better and hopefully adapt better to all those workouts so they can get faster because that's the idea here. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm happy to be here and I'm excited to dive in and hopefully help your listeners figure out some of these questions. All right. So let's just get started. We've got a bunch to go through here. And uh, we have one that I want to start with from Justin. Thanks for submitting this, Justin. And Justin's question hit home for me because I experienced the very same thing when I ran my first half marathon. And he said, uh, after a long run at a race effort, such as a half marathon, I get horrible stomach cramps for the rest of the day and even chills and flu-like symptoms. What's going on with that? And so this question I wanted to lead with because I experienced this after a bunch of my races and he mentioned the half marathon. I spent about 45 minutes curled into the fetal position after my first half marathon with just awful stomach cramps. I felt terrible and I I just know what that is like. So um, I don't really know what caused it and, and maybe you have some ideas on why running hard for a long time, like you would in a half marathon? What is that doing to your body where, you know, you're going to have stomach cramps and and you even, you know, actually feel sick later that day? Yeah. So this is a really interesting question because there's a lot of different stuff that could be going on here. So yeah. So let's, let's start with the stomach cramps because that's going to be different from the chills. Um, actually, let's start with the chills because I think that that's a really interesting thing and the stomach cramps are a little more complicated. So the chills are shivering. So this is something that, that I've heard a lot of people have happen after, especially after races or really intense efforts. Um, so, you know, it could be a diff- number of different things, but one thing that often can cause this. So basically, if you're working really hard, your core temperature is going to start going up um, as you're running. And so your body is going to start um, sweating to, you know, release some of that heat. Um, And so when you stop abruptly, usually, especially like with a race, um, your body is going to kind of start to readjust to try and bring that core temperature back down. And so it's still sweating profusely, even though you've stopped. So you're no longer generating as much heat yourself, but your body is still aggressively trying to cool your body off. So what can happen here is sometimes the body basically like over course corrects um, too quickly. So if you lose heat too quickly by all of that sweat and your core temperature ends up going down a little bit too low, then your body is basically going to start trying to warm you back up aggressively by causing chills or shivering. So that's usually what's going on if there's some sort of like a, that sort of really physical response um, is that it's often related to your core temperature. Um, The other thing in terms of the stomach cramps, so this could be a number of different things. So I would, of course, first look at, um, the first thing is probably going to be fluid that they want, that they want to consider looking at. So dehydration can definitely cause gastrointestinal issues. Um, So I would consider making sure that um, for, so for fluid, um, you want to make sure that you're taking in about roughly 20 to 25 ounces, or that's about 500 to 750 milliliters of water or fluid of some sort per hour. And this is going to vary based on, you know, how hot the race or run is, um, how much you sweat usually, because some people are just sweatier than others. Um, So it's going to be something you want to experiment with a bit, but if stomach cramps can sometimes be caused by getting too dehydrated. 
Um, on the flip side, they can also be caused by too much um, fluid sometimes. So that's just something to play around with a bit. Um, the other thing, of course, that often can cause stomach cramps is not quite doing fueling correctly. So um, in some cases, especially I think after some, so what happens is people often train for races at a slower pace than they end up doing the race. So then during the race, they're using a lot more energy because they're running faster at a harder effort. So if they're taking in the same amount of fuel that they would normally take in for their training runs, it may not quite be enough because they're expending so much more energy by running a lot faster. Um, so this is something I see happen a lot with clients for races is, um, that they don't often take in quite enough. Um, so in terms of fueling, so our kind of, my general calculation to think of using is if you take your body weight in pounds and divide it by four, that's kind of the approximate carb grams that you'll want to take in per hour. But again, you want to experiment with that a bit. And again, consider if you're doing, if you're taking in a certain amount for long runs, consider adding a little bit extra for your race because you are going to be having a lot harder effort. Um, so I don't know if, do you think any of those were what was going on for you, Jason, during your race? Well, it's interesting you ask because in hindsight, you know, me coming from a track background, running shorter races, running my first half marathon, it was the longest race that I've ever done. And I didn't think I really needed to hydrate or fuel during the run at all. Now this was in Massachusetts in February, so it was it was pretty chilly on race day. I wasn't dealing with a lot of heat or humidity, but still, I don't think I really drank anything during the race. I think I had a gel with a couple sips of water really quick from an aid station, but I didn't have any formal uh, fueling or hydration strategy. And if I had to guess, I mean, I, I don't actually know, but if I had to guess, it was probably a dehydration issue. Uh, because of just how bad I felt afterwards and your description of, you know, being dehydrated and how that can lead to stomach cramps. And then also how I felt the rest of the day. Cause I do remember just it, it feeling pretty bad and, and it, it felt like that dehydrated feeling. Um, so it was probably that for me. Um, and, and it was very interesting to hear you talk about one of the reasons why you might develop chills after a race like that because you know your body cooled down so quickly and now is kind of just trying to to find homeostasis and i, I think this tells us that a cool down is important yeah and bringing yourself from you know sprinting towards the finish line at the very end of a race to an immediate standstill that's a very abrupt change in how much energy you're putting out and so, you know, even if you're only going to run for a half a mile, let's just do some easy jogging. If you're really wrecked, like after a marathon, you know, after a marathon, I don't recommend folks go do like a running cool down, but let's walk around for 10 to 20 minutes. You know, don't just go immediately sit down on the curb because your body is just reeling from hours of effort. And, you know, you're going to suffer if, if you just sit down right afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the big differences, obviously, between like training runs and races. It's just that very abrupt stop. And of course, just the extra effort that is getting put into that as well, just from an energy perspective. Yeah, let's keep talking about uh, fueling during these long efforts, because Nicholas asked a question. I'm not entirely sure if he's serious, but we're going to include it anyway, because it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Nick said, 
About three hours into a long run, my stomach is yelling at me for something more substantial than gels. I usually switch over to roasted potatoes, but what I really want is a ribeye. Does anyone run with steak in their pack? And if I do, should I be worried about mountain lions? <laughs> I love this question. And it's actually something that I have experienced as well. I'm not exactly interested in running with steak, um, but I do find that for longer runs, um, for me, when I was marathon training, I really needed something with a little bit of fat and protein. So often for you know half marathon, you can get away with just doing gels. And in fact, if you're racing really fast, you know obviously gels are just such an easy form of fuel that doesn't involve a lot of chewing. Um, but for something longer than that, especially the marathon distance, um, I think it's really beneficial to consider taking in some fuel that's not only carbohydrates. Because, you know, I find that otherwise that can t- tend to just lead to you getting more and more depleted by the end of the workout. So, um, so usually after about an, an hour or two of a long run for me, I would start fueling with something that had just a little bit of fat and protein. You don't want too much because fat and protein are a little bit harder and slower to digest. You don't want to get cramps from that. Um, but something like I have a couple of different recipes on my blog that would be helpful here. And we also have a ton of these in our nutrition for runners program. Um, but like my salty maple nut bites are an example. Um, or you could do, if you want something like, um, peanut butter pretzels or, I, one of my favorite running fuels that I used to have a lot when I was marathon training was, um, dates that I'd taken the pit out of and just put a little peanut butter in there. And it just really helped to just give me a little bit of that extra energy and oomph without being enough protein and fat to give me any sort of digestive issues. So I think the switch over to the roasted potatoes that Nicholas was talking about is smart because it's switching over to something a little more substantial and he's hopefully adding salt to those. But I would encourage something again with a little bit of fat and protein in the mix too, just to get a little bit more diversity in terms of the fuel that's going to give you more staying power, especially if you're doing a longer, slower run where it's a little easier to take down something besides just a straight, you know, sport drink or gel. Right. And, and I think it's important too, if we think about really long ultra marathons, you go to the aid stations at these races and they don't just have very carby, sugary types of food. They also have things with salt in it. They have things with protein and fat. And it just goes to show that when you are running for a long time, it becomes increasingly difficult to rely solely upon those high sugar gels and things like that. You do need something a little bit more substantial uh, because, you know, you rarely go three, four or five hours without eating something in the real world anyway. And so when you're out there on the trail or on the road on a run, and not only are you going without any kind of substantial food for a long time, but you're running during that time as well, just burning a tremendous amount of calories. So I think that's a good a good approach. I don't think you need the ribeye. You don't need the steak. <laughs> you know, it's almost like the two ends of the spectrum here. We don't want, you know, just solely sugar for three plus hours of running. But then again, we also don't really want a steak. Yeah, it might be a little hard on the digestive system to have just a huge amount of protein all at once, but yeah. Right. And, and you're not actually fueling, you know, you're running when you're just eating steak. There's nothing that's going to give you any energy for uh, the running itself. The reason why you have some fat and protein in food while you're running is just to increase 
you know, how full you feel and to give you what you actually are craving, which can help with stomach distress and things like that. So, um, you know, and, and then again, if the mountain lion comes after you, cause you did bring steak with you on a run, uh, I'm, I'm hard pressed to believe that it's just because of the steak. I mean, Nicholas is a human running steak. So yeah, yeah uh, I was gonna say they're probably more interested in you than the steak, although I don't know. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about racing versus running easy. Uh, we have been talking about fueling for different long runs and races. Uh, Mike wants to know, do you need to fuel differently for a half marathon at your half marathon pace versus a half marathon just done as an easy run? What's the big difference here? Yeah. So this is kind of related to what I was talking about earlier, where how you may want to consider fueling differently if you're racing very hard versus running at more of a casual pace, like for a training run. Um, so obviously running really hard is going to use up, um, your, you know, blood sugar levels and your fuel that you've stored is going to be used a lot more quickly because you're using a lot more energy. So it's definitely worth, worth considering, um, adding in a little bit more. And again, if you're doing something really fast, um, you probably want to do more of the gels and things like that, that are just really fast and easy to take down. Um, but this is something that just kind of, you know, you need to do some trial and error. So, um, for example, you know, if you're doing a lot of, if you're training for a half marathon, instead of just doing all kind of easy pace, longer runs, adding in some, um, intervals where you are doing some of your race pace and then using that time to take your fuel. So that way you have some practice taking down the fuel while running faster to see, does this actually work? Can I actually swallow this and take it down while I'm running this quickly. Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, your body is definitely experiencing different things when you're running at an easy effort versus when you're running at a hard half marathon type of effort and digesting any kind of fuel is going to be a little bit more challenging when you're running faster. And so, you know, the, the fueling side of things, it becomes important for you to practice that in training so that when you do attempt to fuel your half marathon race, your body has experience with that. You've trained your gut to process fuel when, you know, you're out there running hard because, you know, when you're just running easy, it's a different experience and it's not as specific to what you're going to experience on race day. Uh, and then your piece of advice with, uh, doing harder long runs, you know, different types of long runs where, you know, maybe there's a long run where you're going to run 13 miles, but miles four through eight are at your goal half marathon pace. Yeah. That'd be a great opportunity for you to practice some of that fueling. And also just on the physical side of things, you know, make sure that your long runs are starting to become a little bit more specific to the race and to give you the specific fitness that you need to reach your half marathon goal. So uh, I, I think this is a great question because it really speaks to the differences between fueling when you're going slow versus when you're going fast. The other thing to consider too is that, you know, I think there's a tendency for um, people to often just kind of take the entire gel at once, but it's worth considering taking almost more like sips of it, like little bits of it at once. Cause if you are someone that's having a little bit of a hard time digesting or dealing with stomach cramps um, after you fuel, it can help to spread it out a little bit more so that you're not just taking down the whole thing all at once, but rather spreading out that carbohydrate, um, you know, sugar rush that you're going to get and spreading it out a little bit by taking more just kind of little sips or little bites of the gel. 
especially as you're running faster, because basically the faster you run, the more your blood is going to be redirected away from the gut where it's going to be helping with digestion. It's going to be directed away from there and more towards the muscles to help with um, the large effort that you're putting in. So the more, the faster you're running, the harder, obviously it's going to be for your body to handle digesting things. So spacing it out a bit. And then also, like we said, testing it out by trying to take some of the fuel specifically when you are during the harder, faster parts of your training runs. Yeah. You know what? I I like that. And I intuitively did that a little bit when I was uh, racing marathons and, and trying to, you know, really run a personal vest because I just felt like I couldn't just shove an entire gel down my throat when I was breathing so hard. So I did it almost out of necessity. You know, I had to eat it over the course of a couple minutes where, you know, maybe you're saying eat it over even in longer time period of about maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it's a good uh, piece of advice because exactly what is happening in your gut, you know, there's less blood flow there. Your body isn't worrying about digestion. It's worrying about producing power and running fast. And so, you know, not putting 25 or 30 grams of carbohydrate directly in your stomach all at once is probably a good idea. Yeah. I would usually take about a whole mile to, to take down a gel, just, you know, kind of looking at my watch and saying, okay, I'm at the start of this mile or, you know, at this certain time point where I knew I want to start fueling. So by the time I get to the next mile, I should have finished this, but probably not sooner than that. And that can be kind of like a nice mental, you know, way to just remember. So you'd probably eat a gel over the course of about four and a half, five minutes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's about my mile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, in a, if you're a really fast runner, maybe two miles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, what about when we're eating before a race? Neil wants to know on a scale of one to 10, how full should your stomach feel at the starting line of a marathon? Mm, this is such a good question too. So I, this is going to be again, very individual, but I would aim for about a three. Um, so you don't want, or maybe even four, like you don't want to, you certainly don't want to feel full, but you also do not want to feel like you're starting this race on empty. And I think a mistake that I see clients make is that they have their normal fueling strategy that they do for all of their long runs. And they usually have, you know, their fuel, maybe half an hour or so or 45 minutes before they go out for their run on their long run days. But then on the race day, they're up way earlier. So they're maybe eating, you know, two hours before the race, just because obviously you have to get to the race early, especially if it's a big race and, you know, the time to get there. So then by the time they get there, um, they already feel hungry and depleted at the starting line, which is obviously not what you want. So I think something to really think about is, you know, what is my normal timing where I have my fuel and then how much later do I usually leave for my run and to work on that as being your same timing for race day. So maybe you have something small when you first get up. And then when you're at that time interval before the race that you usually are when you're taking your fuel before a long run, say, you know, 45 minutes. So when you're 45 minutes out from the race start, that's where you'd say, okay, now I'm going to eat my fuel. So maybe that's like at the starting line waiting around, or maybe that's on your way down there if you can safely eat while you're getting down there. Um, But yeah, so that's something to consider because I think often people don't remember to don't remember that there's going to be a lot more time in between when they fuel and when the race starts. And so that tends to leave them a little bit too depleted even before they've actually started the race. Right. And I think a good general rule is that the longer the race, probably the more full you want to feel at the starting line. You know, if I was hungry on the starting line of a 1500, 
I wouldn't care. You know, it's going to yeah. be over before I, I, you know, can even walk over to the, <laughs> to get some food. Yeah. So that's not really a problem. And what I think is a problem is if you're either hungry or, you know, you're very close to being hungry when you're lining up for a really long race, uh, like a marathon might take you three, four, five hours, you know, that's a long time. And if you're hungry at the very beginning of that time, and then you're just eating sugary gels during the course of that marathon, you're just really setting yourself up for a, a hard uh, bonk and hitting the wall, you know, around mile 18 or 20. So uh, I think that general rule can be really helpful for runners. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, even some ultra marathons, you know, you're almost running slower than your easy running pace. You know, if you're running a hundred mile trail ultra, you're, you're going pretty slow and you're, you might be walking in that first mile on in any kind of big uphills. So, you know, you can handle a little bit more food and you're also going to be on your feet for a lot longer. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, you know, it depends on the race distance a little bit, but for the most part, you should be, I would say, uh, with food in your stomach, but certainly not full and not even close to feeling full. Yeah. And not close to feeling starved either. Cause yeah. Yeah. It's, it's somewhere right in the middle. And, and this is probably one of the things that runners should work on during training, you know, try to practice the fueling schedule that you're going to have to use on race day when you're actually training. Like if you're getting ready for a marathon and you know, the race starts at let's say seven in the morning, well, let's start some of your long runs at seven in the morning, get up at the time that you will for the marathon and eat what you plan on eating. And that's a good way to, you know, see like, okay, can I have an entire bowl of oatmeal and a banana? Or is it better if I just have half a bowl of oatmeal and half of a banana or whatever the combination is? You know, a lot of this is just experimentation and finding out that, that timing window that really works for your body. Yeah, it's worth remembering too that this can change over time. So, for example, I used to always have toast with nut butter and sometimes some jam or or banana or something before running, and I could have this, you know, fifteen minutes before going out the door. It didn't bother me. Um, and then, for whatever reason, in the past year, it just that just did not sit well with me anymore. So I've started just doing a banana and nut butter, and that seems to work well. But I think just remembering to be flexible too. And so if something that you've been doing for a while, even if it used to work, if it doesn't work anymore, you know, experiment with it until you find something that does. Cause yeah. Yeah. I experienced that too. I can't really do toast with peanut butter anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it just yeah. doesn't appeal to me. So weird. Maybe we're just getting old. I don't know. <laughs> I know it's a, it's a kid, uh, it's yeah, a kid food. It's, yeah. Or just, just, I don't know. It just felt like a little too heavy for whatever reason for me. Um, maybe because I'm doing shorter runs now, usually too, instead of longer runs, but yeah, for whatever reason. So I think being open to mixing it up, if whatever you've been doing doesn't work anymore and just be sure to do some trial and error too. Excellent. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about eating in general rather than fueling for different runs. And then we have a couple of questions on weight loss. So our first question comes from Ryan, who wants to know if there's any downsides to eating nearly the same thing every day for breakfast and lunch. His breakfast is either oatmeal with fruit or eggs, and lunch is chicken breast and spinach salad or some sort of kale quinoa salad. What do you think? Sounds like quite the healthy eater. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's good to mix it up a little bit. But that said, if you have something that that you really like, certainly stick with 
kind of the base of it and maybe just consider mixing the to- mixing up the topping. So if you really love oatmeal, maybe you have oatmeal with chia seeds one day and then with berries. And then another day you have oatmeal with peanut butter and banana. And then, you know, another day you have hemp seeds and, you know, whatever, something else mixed in. Uh, but I think just considering mixing up even just the toppings a little bit. So for example, with the salad, I would say make sure, first of all, especially as a runner, that there's some sort of carbs in the salad. That's a mistake that I see people making often is when they're having a salad, not including some sort of a carbohydrate source with it. So no, so leaving out like toast or um, some sort of a grain on the salad. Um, usually what ends up happening there, if, if, if the carbs are being skipped, um, then it'll come back later in the form of sugar cravings. So I would really make sure that you're getting carbs, fat, and protein at your meals. Um, but yeah, for example, with the salad, maybe there's going to be different toppings on it. Um, so, you know, one day chicken, one day salmon, uh, you know, another day spinach, the next day arugula, just kind of doing variations on that same theme. So that way, if you have a routine that works for you and you enjoy, you can still do that, but just having a little bit of variety within that because each different food is going to bring different nutrients to the table. And it's just helpful to diversify things a little bit. For sure. I think with, when it comes to nutrition, diversity is really important. And I'm glad you brought up the carbohydrate issue because I was going to speak to that. You know, I look at the the breakfast option of oatmeal with fruit and then the breakfast option of eggs as very different breakfasts. Yes. You know, they can both be healthy, but your oatmeal and fruit is a very high carb breakfast, mm-hmm. whereas your breakfast of just eggs is virtually no carbohydrate. Yeah. So if you're a runner and you're either running after work, before work, it almost doesn't matter. I would always encourage runners to have some form of healthy carbohydrate in any snack or meal that they're making, because you'll end up feeling very hungry after a couple hours if you miss a major macronutrient in one of your one of your meals or snacks. And and that's something I learned from you, Anne, and something that uh, has really helped me structure my snacks a lot better, so that I'm not you know plowing. <laughs> plowing pretzels in my mouth before dinner. Yeah, yeah, it really does make a difference to have make sure you have those three macronutrients at meals and again especially with the skipping carbs it really just leads to sugar cravings later on in the day. Um so yeah, it's just it's really important to make sure you've got that balance for satiety reasons and also just for refueling reasons too. For sure. Um now Matt has a question on eating well and avoiding type 2 diabetes. Um, he has a fasting glucose of 110, so it's not terribly high, but he doesn't want it to climb either. And I think he's asking this question because he understands that carbs are just quite necessary for running, especially if you're doing any kind of hard workouts or long runs, you really do need carbohydrate in your diet. But with that said, you know, how do you eat well for running and avoid you know, the real sugary stuff and, you know, some of those just sugar bombs that can be very present in running, you know, like a lot of gels and things like that. Yeah. So in this case, I would definitely recommend experimenting with a little bit more of the kind of real food um, fuel that I mentioned earlier. For example, maybe the dates with a little bit of nut butter or the, um, you know, some of my snack balls, like the salty maple nut bites, Um, experimenting a little bit with fuel that has not just the carbs, but also some fat and protein is going to be helpful really for anyone, as I said, but also for, especially someone, um, 
that is struggling with their blood glucose. Because if you have the fat and the protein in the mix as well, it's going to have less of a blood sugar rush from the carbohydrate. Um, the protein and fat kind of buffer that response a little bit, that blood sugar response. So that'll certainly be helpful with the fueling. Um, but I mean, in general, running can actually be really helpful with um, diabetes because cardio is going to help improve the body's sensitivity to insulin. Um, and it can also improve the your blood glucose control. So anyone who is struggling with um, higher blood sugar is definitely going to benefit from a cardio, any sort of cardio uh, vascular exercise, because it will help them to manage their blood glucose. Um, but yeah, I would definitely think about, you know, for example, if there's a time of day that your blood sugar is particularly high, that might be a good time to go running because it will help bring that down naturally. Um, because basically your body is going to use that blood sugar as fuel. Um, and so, but the only thing to consider is that if, if this is, if you are someone that takes insulin, then you'll definitely want to work with a certified diabetes educator or, or a dietitian who specializes in diabetes, um, just to make sure that you are kind of adequately balancing that. Cause sometimes if you are taking insulin and then you're running as well, that could actually kind of boomerang you back the other way to have too low blood sugar. Um, which obviously we don't want either, but yeah, in general running, is hugely helpful for, um, anyone struggling with higher blood glucose, um, because it's really going to help with that sensitivity to insulin and the blood glucose control. So I would just consider when taking any sort of fuel, make sure there's a little bit of fat and protein in there as well, just to help buffer that blood sugar response. I think this might also be a good opportunity for your, for anyone to test their blood glucose. You know, I think those testing kits are relatively affordable these days and fairly accurate. So it might be a, a, a nice way for you to maybe change up your diet a little bit, but then keep tabs on your glucose levels so that you can actually see what the response was to those dietary changes. Um, now, Anne, do you know what a what an average or, or quote unquote normal fasting glucose level is? Um, so the normal that you'd be aiming for, for fasting, I believe should be under 99. Um, it's been a while since I've studied diabetes. It's not my area of specialty. So please don't quote me on that. But um, yeah, so I'll have to get back to you on that one because that's not an area that I've researched recently. But Okay, um, we'll look it up and I'll yeah. include it in the show notes for this episode. So yeah. if you're curious, we'll we'll have the the right number. But that that does sound right. My grandmother is a type one diabetic and has a blood glucose um, measuring kit, and I sometimes will have her prick my finger and, and test mine in the morning if I'm staying at her place visiting, uh, just because I'm curious. Mm -hmm. And and I think I remember wanting it to be under a hundred. Yeah. It was like just at a hundred, so I was a little upset, but <laughs> it's okay. It's it's really fascinating to see, you know, if you if you do want to test it throughout the day, it's a fascinating way to see just kind of how different foods affect that blood sugar. And for example, you'll definitely see the direct impact of whether you have if you have carbs by themselves versus if you have carbs with fat or protein, how much of a difference it does make to have that fat and protein in the mix too, in terms of a lower blood sugar response. Yeah, a, a good example of that is, you know, one of my one of the foods that I'm really into right now is fresh squeezed orange juice, mm. which is just a huge influx of sugar. And uh, the way that I justify it is that I just drink it after a run. So after I go running, the first thing I'll have is a small glass of orange juice. And I just love the sweetness of it. It's just so refreshing after a hot run in the summer. 
but you know, I'm doing it right after a run. So I feel like my body's a little bit more capable of processing it. Yeah, no, it actually, it really will be because, you know, like I was saying, it just, it will improve your blood glucose control just by doing cardiovascular exercise. So if you're having, if you want to have just carbs by themselves, honestly, the best time to have them is during a run or right after, because that's when your body's going to be able to process it more quickly and more easily. I feel like whenever we chat on the podcast, I'm telling you about the latest food that I'm really into. I think the last time it was bacon habanero tortilla chips, which I still really like. (laughs) That sounds really good. (laughs) Oh, they're amazing. I recommend them. Um, Okay. So we have uh, a couple more questions about weight loss um, from uh, different kinds of folks and in different situations. I thought these were all really interesting. Um, and so our first question is from Adriana and she says, I'm trying to lose the last 10 pounds with strength training four times a week and five days of running, but I'm worried about fueling properly. What calorie deficit is best? And is it okay to maintain a deficit over a long period of time? Should I cycle in days of caloric maintenance amounts or some other strategy? What do you think, Ann? This is a tough one because it's, it's, you know, any sort of kind of weight loss related questions, it's really hard without knowing more about the individual specific situation. Like for example, um, are those last 10 pounds that she's saying, are those actually appropriate for her body to lose? Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, her body may be holding onto those for a reason. Um, and you know, especially so with the training, like strength training four times a week, you know, there's, that can mean a lot of different things. So certainly strength training can be very helpful um, in terms of, you know, creating more lean muscle mass. um, And that can be helpful for weight loss, but it kind of depends, you know, is she doing that in a way that's gonna um, increase her lean muscle mass? Or is it kind of more, um, I guess, just kind of how intense of a program is that and how targeted? And then same with the running. So five days a week of running, um, as you know, there's different kind of Uh, different kinds of running, they're going to help facilitate weight loss versus other kinds of running. They're going to be more helpful for just general training. Um, And so we have, you know, in our program, some different training plans for specifically more of a weight loss approach with running versus um, more of a training targeted approach, because, you know, for example, like doing intervals and things like that can be more helpful for rubbing up that metabolism versus the kind of slower, steadier running. Um, which is going to be great for training your system, your cardiovascular system to run long distances, but it may not be helpful for um, specifically leaning up. But again, I think the main thing that I would want to know is are, you know, in her case specifically, are those last 10 pounds appropriate for her to lose at all? Um, Her body may be holding onto them for a reason. And I I never really suggest a calorie deficit. Um, Honestly, especially if you're training, that's just often going to lead to getting injured because your body's not going to be able to repair itself properly. Um, but again, it's just really hard to share more than that without knowing more individual details. Right. This is a tough one because on the one hand, it, it really is a bad idea to train for a race at the same time that you're trying to lose weight. Because yeah. when you're training for a race, you need to be well-fueled for all of your runs you know, that's just important for recovery. It's also important for adaptation. I think so many runners think about recovery, but they don't think about adaptation. If you are under fueling and working in a calorie deficit while training, while doing the long runs, the workouts and all that, your body is simply not in 
as effective of an environment to really adapt to all that hard work that you're doing. Yeah. And you're really going to, unfortunately, by uh, trying to target two different goals, you're going to not really accomplish either goal. Your training is going to suffer. So whatever race you're training for is just not going to be as good for you. And then, you know, you're not, you can't really focus on weight loss while you're training because it's just, you know, so almost impossible with the energy demands of training. So it becomes very challenging. And, you know, I would always, like you said, and make sure that, you know, the 10 pounds that you want to lose is an appropriate amount of weight loss for you. You know, you may not need to lose that much weight. You may not need to lose any weight and any kind of calorie deficit is, is really the only way that you lose weight. But at the same time, if you're exercising a lot with a calorie deficit, it really does open the door for a lot of different types of injuries, especially bone injuries and uh, uh, red syndrome, which, you know, very common in women who are training a lot. So you just really want to avoid those calorie restricted training days where the intensity is up, the volume's up, but the calories are down. That is a bad combo. Yeah. And that'll often just lead to weight cycling too. So, you know, it's just not sustainable to do any sort of a restrictive approach with food. It works for a little while until it doesn't because it's just not sustainable. So I always work with clients using an approach called intuitive eating, um, which Jason, I know we've talked about a lot um, on other podcasts we've done together, but basically just really helping clients to figure out how to eat in a way that feels best for them physically, balancing the approach that they're taking with the macronutrients to, again, make sure they're getting enough so that they're not having sugar cravings later or not adequately refueling. Um, But really what I find works best is to help clients to figure out what they can add versus subtract. So for example, thinking about, you know, adding protein to breakfast or adding carbs to their lunch salad or adding more veggies throughout the day or adding more water throughout the day. Um, that just is a much more sustainable approach long-term for building healthy habits um, rather than focusing on things to subtract, whether it be calories or foods in general, because it's just not going to be sustainable long-term. Like someone can do that for a while, but then eventually it's just not going to be something they can do forever. And so that's going to lead them to kind of boomerang back the other way. And weight cycling, you know, obviously has a lot of, um, harmful side effects too, just in terms of your health. So yeah, so I would really encourage um, focusing on what things you can add versus what you're looking to subtract. Yeah, I like that a lot. And part of Adriana's question was, you know, is it okay to maintain a deficit over a long period of time? And and I think that's a clear no. Um, You don't want to be on a diet for a long period of time because the very definition of a diet, if it's a weight loss diet, is a calorie restricted diet. Doesn't matter if it's whole 30, keto, Atkins, you know, whatever diet it is, you're losing weight because you're on a restricted calorie diet and it's not sustainable in the long term. You know, like like you said Ann, and it's uh you know, with diet boomerang boomeranging and you know, your weight cycling back and forth, it's so common to see that. And I think it's because people try to go to those extremes to lose weight, you know, the high intensity, a lot of exercise with a calorie restricted diet, and you just can't do that. So you, you boomerang back. Well, and what I see have happened a lot too. So in addition to just the weight cycling and is often this will turn into binge eating too. So, you know, constantly getting too hungry and then, you know, binge eating to, 
um, make up for it basically. So there's that kind of constant restrict and then binge cycle um, of varying kind of severity. But that's usually all that comes out of a calorie deficit, honestly, is binge eating and weight cycling. So yeah, it's not good. We want to avoid that. Yeah. (laughs) Now this leads me to Josh's question and uh, we've kind of already answered it. He said, is it possible to safely achieve weight loss while training for long distance races if you're not at your ideal race weight? And I think the answer here is, you know, any kind of exercise program is good for weight loss if you're not overeating on the other side of the equation. So I think it is possible to achieve weight loss. I just don't think you should actively try to lose weight while you're training for a race. Um, So if you're not actively on a diet trying to lose weight while you're training for a race, Josh wants to know how many weeks should you factor into your overall plan if you need to shed a couple pounds. And, you know, this is the approach that we took in our nutrition for runners program where, you know, there's weight loss training plans and there's training plans for a variety of race distances. We don't combine them and we don't encourage anybody to go on a diet when they're training for a race. Instead, you can kind of have a weight loss training cycle before your race training cycle. And that's a better way to do it because you're not putting as much uh, pressure on yourself to train. And so, you know, you're, you're eating better, you are potentially in a calorie deficit and the structure of the training does change a little bit. You know, you're, you're doing a little bit more intensity, uh, you know, and and on the flip side of that, you're also doing a lot of easy running because just that general aerobic, easy effort running is still fantastic for weight loss. So I, I think they should be separated because like we said earlier, when they're combined, you end up not really accomplishing either goal very well. Yeah. Well, and I think too, with, um, you know, yeah, there's definitely a different sort of training if you're training more for the kind of leaning up versus training for a longer distance race. Like you said, like it's a different sort of training and the food in our program isn't necessarily different, um, between these different cycles, but I think the way that you are training is different. And so that alone can sometimes be enough without, again, without having to do any sort of subtracting in terms of food. Um, so yeah. Yeah. The whole idea of subtracting and adding is really interesting to me because by adding foods that you should be eating, maybe that's more vegetables, changing the composition of your meals to, um, you know, make you feel more full throughout the day, drinking more water, you know, only it's almost as if by adding those foods, you are then by necessity subtracting the other foods that you probably shouldn't be eating, you know, the more processed calorie dense foods that aren't as good for you because, you know, you're just not as hungry. You're eating other foods. You're, you're more satisfied from your meals. You're drinking more water. So I think that's a much better approach. Yeah. You're basically setting yourself up for, yeah, just more of a satisfying day. And again, not that kind of getting too hungry and then overeating. Um, so I I see that happen a lot with clients that first come to me where they're trying to be quote good earlier in the day. And, you know, again, maybe skipping the carbs at lunch and having salad or, um, just not having an afternoon snack. And then by the time they get to dinner, they're too hungry. And so then they end up eating more than their body wants because they've gotten too hungry. So honestly, just by balancing out meals and spacing them out a little bit more um, during the day can be a great, really, honestly, kind of simple way in a lot of ways to um, reduce overeating and especially um in the evenings as well. So I think, you know, all foods can certainly fit, but I think also removing 
so first of all, not setting yourself up to binge on, um, you know, whatever's in the house by getting too hungry, but then also not putting foods off limits because if foods are off limits, then that certainly is going to make them a lot more appealing. So by just saying, you know, you can have whatever foods you want, but let's set up your day in a way that's going to leave you feeling good physically and not set you up to get way too hungry and then just be kind of reaching for whatever is there. I love it. I love it. All right. And we are down to our last question. Um, This one is from Chris. And he wants to balance his weight loss goals with preventing injury. And he says that it seems that if I diet enough to actually lose weight, I get these nagging injuries. But if I eat enough to maintain my weight, injuries seem to stay away. He's six feet tall, 215 pounds, but he'd love to be 180 pounds and healthy. So, you know, how do we balance this? Is, Is this as simple as simply training for weight loss and dieting during one time of the year and then transitioning more to race oriented training a different part of the year? I don't know. To me, honestly, it sounds like his body doesn't want to be at a smaller size. I mean, if, if any time that he successfully is losing weight, he is getting injured. That to me says your body doesn't want that. And that's not appropriate for your body. And that you, if you are I mean, he said if he's eating enough to maintain his weight, then the injuries stay away. So yeah, that to me says that that weight that he's aiming for is not necessarily realistic or appropriate for his body and that instead he should, you know, work to embrace where he is and focus on training, uh, maybe training in a more targeted way, but while still maintaining his current weight. Because I think that you can it sounds to me like he's going to have a lot more success doing a more targeted training program at his current weight than he would continuing to try to lose weight and and getting injured because that to me just says his body is not getting what it needs anytime he's bringing in um, less calories. So I think that that's a pretty clear indication that, you know, even though that's maybe not where he wants to be mentally, like that sounds to me like where his body wants to be physically Um, weight wise. But again, I think you can train in a smart way and have a lot of fitness gains without, you know, being at a weight that's not appropriate for your body. Right, of course. And, you know, it's a pretty big red flag that whenever you lose weight, you get injured. You know, that that to me as a coach is, is just an immediate, very clear red flag that, you know, there's something going on with the whole dieting approach that is you know, making the body relatively fragile and susceptible to getting injured. Yeah. And so one way that, you know, if, if Chris wants to experiment, you know, he certainly could stay at 215 and, and maybe that's a healthy weight for him. Maybe that's where his body wants to be. But if he really wants to work at it, he might try to guarantee he won't get injured when he's dieting by not really running very much, you know? And so that's one approach is to really dial back your training substantially less than what you are used to and really focus on your diet because diet i think is much more responsible for any weight loss than the exercise you're doing you know so sure we can structure you know your exercise in a certain way to help with weight loss but if you're doing any legitimate exercise throughout the week and you know let's say you're getting in the minimum of about a half an hour four or five days a week then i think if your diet is really sound and you know, you're covering all your bases, you're using some of the strategies that Anne discussed here today, then, you know, weight loss might be easier to attain. And it will be done in a way where you won't get injured. So that might be an approach to take as well. Yeah, I think it's just about finding what's going to be sustainable, because it just, yeah, it sounds to me like, 
whatever he's been doing, and we obviously don't know, but whatever he's been doing, it doesn't sound like is working for him. So I would encourage him to focus on that adding versus subtracting and see, um, and also encourage him to focus less on weight and more on just, you know, the training in general. And again, kind of taking a look at his, his day and seeing if there are any areas of things that we've talked about that maybe are falling short, like, for example, getting, you know, protein and at breakfast and carbs at lunch and, you know, just making sure you're getting all, he's getting all the macronutrients and that if there are areas where he could add more veggies or, you know, add more um, healthy fats or just, yeah, kind of taking a look and seeing like, could I take a different lens to this? So rather than taking that diet lens, which just honestly doesn't work long-term, can I take a different lens to this and still focus on healthy habits, but in a positive, sustainable way rather than a kind of subtracting negative way? Because it that's just going to be more sustainable for him, for everyone long term. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know what? Uh, the more I think about this, the more I think that, you know, if Chris does focus on weight loss for a couple months, ends up losing a ton of weight, then starts training for a race and actually gains most of the weight back, that would be another good indication that his body is probably happier at that higher weight. So it's not all about trying to become as lean as you can. And I I actually have the opposite problem where I've been wanting to gain some weight, but I just struggle with eating the amount of food that would be necessary for me to gain more weight because I have that natural ectomorph type of body. And, you know, I've kind of come to grips with the fact that it's just really hard for me to gain weight. Uh, my body is happiest with where I'm at right now, which is pretty thin. And, you know, besides that, I kind of just have to make peace with it. You know, this is my body. I'm happy with it. And, you know, here I am. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, everyone's, everyone has a different kind of, uh, just, I guess, natural place where their body wants to be. And yeah, for you, for example, your body's fighting against it when you try to gain weight. And then for others, it's opposite. So I think really taking a look and instead of saying, God, what can I do to change this? Instead saying, hmm, maybe I'm here for a reason. And that's what where I'm supposed to be. And it can be hard if it's an if you feel like your body's in a place that isn't where you want it to be, or isn't where you think society wants your body to be, that can be really hard. And I think that that, um, you know, can certainly warrant some help through therapy. But yeah, I mean, in general, I think if your body's really fighting against something, it's for a good reason. So it's important to listen to that and just say, okay, this is where my body wants to be. So I'm going to work with that. For sure. And thanks for being here. I, uh, I always learn a lot when we do these Q&A shows because I feel like getting a bunch of questions that are, are all related in some different ways, you know, all talking about fueling and general eating and nutrition and weight loss getting your perspectives on a whole variety of, of uh, nuances to these problems is always really enlightening for me. And you've certainly helped me refine my eating over the years. So thanks a lot for your help today. And I'm going to put links to your blog, Fantastic Food. And of course, fantastic is spelled with your name in there. Yeah. Uh, .com in our show notes and uh, a link to our Nutrition for Runners program, which anybody who is struggling with these kinds of questions, you know, we really go into detail in the program itself. So I would highly recommend you check that out. Um, but Anne, where else can we find you on the interwebs if we want to follow your work or get some of those recipes that you talked about? 
Yeah. So my blog is definitely the main place. So that's F-A-N-N-E-TasticFood.com. And then I'm also across social media, also at Fantastic Food. So I would love to chat with any of you guys. And Jason, thank you again so much for having me. I always really enjoy our conversations and appreciate you giving me the opportunity to be here. Awesome. And thanks again. And there it is. A big thank you to Justin, Nick, Mike, Neil, Matt, Adriana, Ryan, Josh, Chris, and Vanita for asking your questions. You can download two bonus sessions of Q&A with Anne and myself at strengthrunning.com nutrition. I'll also send you our RD-approved shopping list, diet mistakes to avoid, and more. This episode is made possible by support from Gatorade Endurance. Use code STRENGTH20 for 20% off at GatoradeEndurance.com. Reformulated in 2017 to be even more effective, Gatorade Endurance formula is a specialized sports drink. That means it has higher amounts of sodium and potassium to help sustain hydration, maintain proper fluid balance, and replace key electrolytes that you lose when you're running. Plus, it has no artificial sweeteners or flavors, and it has a lighter flavor designed for athletes who are training longer. I know the last thing I want when I'm two hours into a long run is a really strong flavor that might turn my stomach. Gatorade Endurance Formula also now offers a multi-carbohydrate blend to help you dial it in and maintain performance over much longer runs. Now, different carbs are utilized at different rates, so this advancement helps you both run longer and lower any risk of stomach distress because it won't be working so hard all at once. You can check out all of their flavors, including caffeinated and non-caffeinated options at GatoradeEndurance.com, and don't forget to use code STRENGTH20 for your 20% discount. Thank you for listening, everyone. I appreciate all of you, and if there's anything I can do to help you with your running, please reach out. Until next time.